everybody, <clears throat> welcome to the Hawthorne Show, or the Hawthorne Effect, as some people like to call it. So, today we have a really special treat for you guys. Uh, rather than just Jimmy and I talking about Hawthorne, we have on hand a real Hawthorne scholar. So this is an academic, uh, the real deal. So I'm gonna, this is, uh, you wanna say your name? Well, of course. My name is Professor Haley O'Reilly, and I teach at um, Midwestern South University. All right, Haley. Um, I'm sorry, it's Professor O'Reilly or Dr. O'Reilly is, is really the name that I prefer. Well, goddammit, call the right name, Monica. You don't want to offend our guests right away. I'm sorry, Dr. O'Reilly. So, we brought you here because, uh, as you know, this is a Hawthorne-themed show, and we figured um, somebody who's interested in Hawthorne would want to be part of it. Are you two, by chance, grad students? Um, I'm sort of wondering what the, what the impetus is behind the project. No, I'm, I'm not a grad student. Nope, nope. I mean, I, I did go and get, uh, did go and get, you know, registered to, to shoot this rifle, and I, I did get some safety training, if, that, if that's what you, you mean, but nothing above that. Well, um, okay then, so you're, you're really kind of lay people, uh, hobbyists, if you will. Well, I, I wouldn't consider myself a hobbyist. I mean, Hawthorne is m almost my life, you know? Same here. You know, I, I live Hawthorne. It, it isn't about a hobby any more than breathing's a hobby. I mean, you do it every day. You, it's just part of you. It's not your hobby. Well, I know, but for all practical purposes, you're not really, you know, experts. Well, I think I'm an expert. I mean, I'm no more than her. Jimmy, you don't know more than me about Hawthorne. I haven't, I th I'm sure that I know more than you about Hawthorne. <laughs> Well, you want to put some money down on that? Put some money right down there on the barrel? On the barrel head? And go toe-to-toe? -to -toe? And now, what's this about? I've, I've, I am in the middle of my sabbatical, and I am glad to speak to you both, but I do need a bit more structure than perhaps um, this podcast, uh, or whatever this is, uh, seems to have. So if you could just ask me some questions, I'm happy to answer them. Um, all right, I guess I'll start. Um, what Hawthorne story do you like the best? Well, I don't know if like has anything to do with it. I mean, to me, the idea of liking and not liking, the subjectivity of the individual reader, is really irrelevant to the work that I do. I mean, I, I see Hawthorne's work as, as minds of theoretical ideas and sort of the uh, zeitgeist of the era that he was in. And um, I think in that way, I, I really like, I don't like it, but I feel young Goodman Brown is a, is a good, it's a good story to kind of, kind of dig your teeth into as a theorist. And there's so much there in terms of the historical context and in terms of, you know, the idea of this, you know, Judeo-Christian Judeo society that we've been born into and the, the kind of thread of evil that um, some might say is the only thing that keeps society from uh, breaking down. Well, uh, I like that one. I mean, you know, I love it because you're in the woods, you know, and he's going in the woods and he's hanging with those demons. It's a little like being a hunter, you know? You got a regular life and you're 
regular clothes and then you put on the camo and and you, you put on the orange hat and then and you're going in the woods and it's a different life. And nobody even knows you're a hunter unless they see a, the stickers on your car and all that. Well, that, that really wasn't what I was saying, but, you know, I'm, I'm glad that you like it. I mean, it's nice that that a man like you could, you know, understand understand it on some level. Now, what do you mean a man like him? Well, what? What do you mean by that? Because Jimmy's not some grad student? Well, I didn't mean that. Now, Monica, you don't have to defend me. That's sweet as hell, but I can stand for myself, and I get what she's saying. She's saying, not every Hawthorne buff comes in this package. Not every Hawthorne buff's wearing a, a dirty cap with with bass, uh, with fly fishing things in it, and not everyone's wearing a shirt that's advertising a skull company. I mean, yeah, we come in all shapes and sizes, so I hope you take that away, Professor O'Reilly. Do Dr. O'Reilly, please. Well, anyways, I I think my favorite story, I mean, Young Goodman Bry, I mean, I guess I hear what you're saying, but don't you feel like you know, don't you feel like there should be some human connection to the work? Or, I mean, what's the point of you being a literary theorist? It just seems like, why not do something you're really passionate about? <laughs> well, I think that's awfully presumptuous. Perhaps I'm passionate about cultural issues more than I'm passionate about my own little feelings. Have you considered that? Well, come on, I, that's pretty rude. Monica, now, you, you have to control your emotions. I knew it was a bad idea. I knew you would have trouble handling a, hot, a real Hawthorne theorist because you're so damn territorial. Now, Dr. O'Reilly, let me explain something about my partner here. She, she thinks she knows everything about Hawthorne. That's the first thing. The second thing is she loves him so much that if you don't love him in the same way she does, it really agitates her. So I'm telling you, anybody saying they love Hawthorne or anybody writing about Hawthorne, novels about Hawthorne, movies about Hawthorne, like The Scarlet Letter with Demi Moore, she hates it all, she cannot stand it, because she feels like Hawthorne's hers. That's where she's at mentally. All right, what's, what's the next question? Um, well, Jimmy, do you want to ask her a question? Well, sure. So, uh, <clears throat> uh, Dr. O'Reilly, uh, why would a, <clears throat> a an elegant lady like you be interested in Hawthorne, which to me is a real, to me speaks plainly and clearly, and it seems like you're somebody who uh, likes a fancier type of talking, and I, I guess I, I guess I don't understand why you aren't a Melville scholar, you know, because he got that, he's got that writing style that, that's just a little more flourishy than our Hawthorne. So why, why Hawthorne, I guess? <clears throat> well, it, it, that's actually a, quite an insightful question, um, George, Georgie? It's Jimmy, but, but thanks. Uh, it's an insightful question because, in fact, I began um, with studying Melville, but, um, well, I, I mean, I hate to get into this because it... Um, it steps away a bit from the um, academic side of my my um, sort of history, but my um, I I had to leave the the world of Melville studies because um, I had um, it it has to do with a personal relationship. I, I guess I'll just leave it at that. I I didn't feel comfortable um, remaining in that um, academic area because of um, uh, a breakup. 
Uh, well, I, I don't want to pry, um, Dr. O'Reilly, but it, it's hard for me to imagine somebody, uh, you know, just cutting you loose like that. And, and even if they did cut you loose, it, it makes me mighty sad to think that you might have left Melville and all your love for his work because of some, uh, you know, some, some romance gone wrong. Well, <laughs> thank you for saying that. I mean, I, I don't think it's sad. I just think, surely you understand that um, there's certain territories in the academic world. And, you know, my, my mentor, who eventually became um, uh, my husband for a brief time, he was much older and, and he was a Melville scholar. And people just believed that I had gotten where I was because of my husband. Um, his name was, his name was Raymond Divergy, and, um, I'm sure you've heard that name, right? Raymond Divergy? Did he have a nickname? Did he go by, by, uh, R.D.? Because I knew an R.D., and, and he was, uh, he was a wild man. Did he like, did he like fast cars and kind of going mudding? Was he a mudding guy? Um, mud mudding? You know, mud and getting out in your car and getting into some mud and just getting stuck and all that. Would he do that at all? Well, sometimes our, sometimes our, um, our Subaru would get bogged down on, on, you know, he wasn't the best of driver, if that's what you're getting at. But, well, like I said, it seems like a pretty superficial reason for uh, choosing Hawthorne, and it's hard to believe that um, you're kind of engaging it with the right passion if, if it's your kind of second choice. Now, Monica, there's no need to go there. I mean, people find things they love for all kinds of reasons, and sometimes something bad can lead you to something that you end up loving. And I understand the thing about territory and mentors and all that. I mean, I, that really rings true. Like, I mean, I remember oh, when I was a young man, I'd go out with my uncle and we'd go into the tree stand, and there was a little watering hole, and I'd wait, and the deer would come up, and we'd pick them off one by one, but... You know, eventually I thought, you know, I gotta learn to hunt somewhere else. I mean, I, I know this land so well. It's in my blood. It's in my face. My family's land. But am I really a hunter? If, if I is it even fair to the deer? I mean, honestly, yeah, I knew that land so well. I, I could, you know, every sort of sway of the grass, I could tell when they were coming. I mean, I recognized individual raccoons that would kind of come and, you know, kind of. There's a precursor to these deer. They'd eat the corn cobs first, and then the squirrels would come. And then there was a chipmunk with a tail, you know, and had kind of a scar on it. I mean, you know, something like that, and, and really there's nothing brave in it. So that's when I, I started to venture out. I got to the wetlands, and I got myself leaders, and, and, then, and then I became the man I am today. Well, I, I think that's... I like that. It's... it's it's a beautiful extended metaphor. I mean, I'm, I'm quite impressed. I, I feel like there is a truth to that. I mean, we are hunting out there. We are looking for ideas. And it is true that when you study a certain writer, you, you see these things in their writing that indicates what's to come. And perhaps Melville, for me, you know, like, uh, he became some, something that became quite expected and um, sort of a part of my youth and um, in adulthood it... He no longer had the challenge for me. All right, that's enough of that. Do you, do you mind if I ask a question, Jimmy? I mean, didn't we talk about beforehand we were going to give equal 
time to each other. I just feel kind of... Can I ask a question? Be my guest! Well, of course. I mean, you can, you can break in at any moment. We're, we're among friends here. Yeah? Okay, so Jimmy and I, um, we've had an argument about this certain Hawthorne story and this certain passage. It's, a, it's from a select party, um, and it's actually the end. So I'm going to read you uh, a couple lines, and I just want to see uh, which one of us maybe um, has the reading that you agree with the most. So this is at the end, and remember this story is the one about um, these people kind of living in a castle in the air and looking down at the earth and sort of talking about if the earth is worth preserving. They're kind of in a sort of like an imaginative limbo. You know, Hawthorne describes him as living in, you know, basically a, a pure realm of like abstraction, I guess. Read me the section in question, though. I'd, I'd love to hear um, what, you and, uh, what you and Jimmy have been discussing. Okay, here's the section. How, in the darkness that ensued, the guests contrived to get back to Earth, or whether the greater part of them contrived to get back at all, or are still wandering, wandering among the clouds, mists and puffs of tempestuous wind, bruised by the beams and rafters of the overthrown castle in the air, and deluded by all sorts of unrealities, are points that concern themselves much more than the writer or the public. People should think of these matters before they trust themselves on a pleasure party into the realm of nowhere. Now, what does that mean? Well, um, <clears throat> I know what I think it means. No, no, Jimmy, don't, don't say anything. I want to see what she thinks. Uh, well, you know, that is uh, one of the stories of Hawthorne where he most um, directly shows his kind of, kind of the jagged lineage of the existentialists. I mean, we think of existentialism as beginning in France with Camus and Sartre and Simone de Beauvoir, but th there is um, a certain strain of that in Hawthorne that I think comes out most clearly when he says, people should think of these matters before they trust themselves on a pleasure party into the realm of nowhere. Oh man, I like the way you read that. I, I think that's just beautiful the way you do it. What he's saying there is that when you engage in high abstraction, it may be exhilarating, but ultimately it leaves you bankrupt because you can no longer engage with the rest of society. So you may go on this pleasure party, as he calls it. You may spend much time in the abstract realm, but ultimately it will leave you cold and husk. And that is what he's saying. So there is a battle in Hawthorne between what is real and what is, um, what is abstract. Well, I, I like the sound of that. I think Hawthorne's being sarcastic, guys. I mean, I think what he's saying is, I mean, earlier in the story, he acts like believing in these castles in the air is actually kind of a, kind of a, a moral strength, even. I mean, he even says earlier in the, in the, in the story, he says, uh, they will have recognized the truth that the dominions which the spirit conquers for itself among unrealities become a thousand times more real than the earth, whereupon they stamp their feet, saying, this is solid, solid and substantial. This may be called fact. I think it's ironic. I think he's saying, ha, 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 maybe they'll get back, maybe they won't. Uh, what a problem, but it's not really a problem because why would they want to get back here anyways? I don't know, Monica. I don't think... Hawthorne has respect for the imagination, of course, but I think mostly... 
he believes that real life is is what's the beautiful thing and if you think of a if you think of some of the things he said in the old apple dealer he's basically saying in that store that that uh not everybody's got a spiritual side and and there's different ways of inhabiting the earth and some are floating high and some are rooted to the ground but either way if you're down there on the ground you look up and you think, man, I'd love to be in that castle in the sky. I'd love to be floating up there, you know? It's like the artist of the beautiful. I, you know, Roger Danforth with his, he's uh, using his anvil and all that, and he's looking at that watchmaker, that artistic Owen, and he's thinking, I'd love to do that. I mean, there's a part of me that sees the beauty in that, but, and then Owen's looking at him thinking, I'd love to be just a strong brute, you know, somebody just working with my hands, and, right there in the earth and just being in the mix and not all floating in this kind of mental state and and I just think Hawthorne's saying wherever you are you're gonna dream of the other thing and if you're in the sky you're gonna look down at the earth just like everybody in that story they're in the sky but what are they talking about what are they looking at they're looking at the earth it's a bit like when a guy says I'm over my old girlfriend I'm done with her let's drink and then it tells you all the things wrong with her. And you can just tell by listening that he's not over her. Not one bit. That's why he's talking about her. So I think that's how Hawthorne is with reality. It's like a, it's like a girlfriend he claims he doesn't love, but that's all he talks about. That is remarkable. I've, I've never heard such a reading of Hawthorne with that amount of clarity or the, the kind of complexity of the metaphor. I, I um... It's beautiful. Uh, do you mind, though? I must, um, I must go to the powder room for a moment. I'll be back. Jimmy, I don't, I think we should ask her to leave. I don't, I don't feel like this has been a productive show. I, I feel like you guys are just talking, and I think it's going to be really boring for our listeners. Um, and honestly, I don't know why you're just kind of kissing up to her. Oh, are you jealous, Monica? Is that it? Because somebody else likes the way I talk about Hawthorne. That's what it comes down to. You don't like that this academic lady thinks I know more and that I got more insight. You can't handle that. You think that, that she's just going to say, Well, this is an interesting guy, Jimmy. Pet me on the head and just laugh like I'm some old hound dog flopping around and you two are just going to sit and I'm just the dog at your feet. Well, it's not going to be like that, Monica. And I like her. I like her plenty. I think she's got a lot of good stuff to say. Hello, um, am I interrupting something? Oh no, come on in! Anyways, I, I just, um, this has been unexpectedly interesting. Well, I think that, um, you have some real native talent for understanding Hawthorne, and, um, it's just been a pleasure. I, it's just been an absolute pleasure. And you know, you remind me of... Uh, I'm sorry, uh, I think we're running out of time, actually. Um, it's been great to have you here. Let her speak, damn it. Let her finish, okay? That's rude as hell, Monica. We can always edit it down later. Well, what, what I was going to say is, um, have you read the story, um, The Great Stone Face? Yeah, I've read it. I'm, a I'm asking Jimmy. Of course I've read it. I love that story. Well, I love it, too. And um, I think what I love is that... In the, in the story, we're searching for um, an authentic man. And so remember that the stone face, if, if a townsperson face 
matches that craggy rock that they can see from the town. Whoever matches that in the legend is a man of great insight and great import. And remember how the, the main character constantly searches for this man and is disappointed. He meets poets and he meets politicians and he never finds that, that brilliant man, that, that kind of natural sort of rough-hewn sort of homespun wisdom. And in fact, we find out at the end, although the man never sees it himself, that he in fact is the great stone face. So this seeker, this sort of um, rough-hewn, sort of simple man with a sort of depth, he becomes the thing that um, he is seeking. It is within him. And there's something about you that reminds me of him. And perhaps it is the, the cragginess of your profile. It's quite compelling. <clears throat> All right. Uh, yeah, I think we're about done today. Thank you, Dr. O'Reilly. Um, I can't say that... Uh, I don't know if this is going to really add to what our readers know about Hawthorne, but I'm sure uh, hearing an academic, um, you know, may have may have shown something about the academic world that might interest them. Oh, don't mind my partner. We really appreciate it. And I had a hell of a time. I'm sorry. I had a very good time talking to you. You, uh, I just, I really felt like, uh, that was real productive. So I, I, maybe we'll stay in touch and, uh, you can be a recurring guest or something. Uh, Jimmy, I think, uh, I, I, let's not make promises. I, I have many of the other shows already plotted. I, uh, Dr. O'Reilly, like I said, we're, we're glad to have you and, um, all the best. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Goodbye. Turlock and all that.